there, another episode finished. I don't know why John always said this was a pain in the butt. This was actually pretty easy to do. <laughs> yeah, it was really easy to get this stuff together. I just had to uh, find a bunch of old footage that was already recorded and edit it up and slap it together. And Wow, oh, wait, that's the last of this footage that I found. Huh. What am I going to do after this? I better get Dr. F on the phone, see if those robot clones of John I made are, are ready yet. You know, because he went missing, and I'm having to take care of this all by myself? Uh, just roll the intro. The Swarmcast Podcast is recorded, mixed, and produced on the poop deck of Gravy Jones Locker in the heart of Columbia, South Carolina. On this show, we talk about the gaming hobby and random fandom. Opinions on this show are... You want some ball peanuts? You're like, you're crazy, <laughs> man. Get up my yard! I'm Toast, your cobalt announcer! And now, prepare to delve into the mind of your host, John Minas! Hey, Toast, what's behind this door? It's the designer's dungeon! Oh, yeah. you didn't. Yes, I sure did! Ah, <laughs> uh, Toast. Locked him up. I didn't mean actually keep designers yeah. in the dungeon. Well, it's too bad. They're there. Well, let's go talk to them. Yeah, <laughs> they're making, like, rough them up or something. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Designer's Dungeon. This is part two of my interview with Robin D. Laws. Enjoy. All right, so now I, just, I kind of want to ask a little bit about the creative process in writing stuff. Sure. How would you start on, like, where would you start when you start writing for a project? What's, the, what's kind of what you focus on first? What are the design goals? So if it's a brand new game, the question is, who is this game for? Why do they need this game? Because, of course, there are many, many, many uh, tabletop role-playing games, and there are more out every day. Why, what's special and different about this one that other people want, right? Not just what I want to do, but what's an untapped uh, idea that will get people excited, that gives them something they haven't had before. And once you figure out what that is, you can, in a tabletop role-playing situation, you can usually distill that into what is the core activity of the game, right? So the core activity of D&D is you go into dungeons and fight monsters. The core activity of vampire is that you engage in vampire intrigue. The core activity of the Yellow King is that you investigate occult mysteries spawned uh, by the existence of the King in Yellow and the, the play about him and the Yellow Sign. And so then you make sure that you build everything in your game to support that core activity. So if, for example, you find yourself, well, what are the vehicle creation rules for Yellow King going to be? Uh, you stop and go, wait a minute, how does that fit the core activity, right? The core activity statement has nothing about vehicles or building vehicles. I think I've gone down a wrong path and just started to think about something different that I thought would be fun. And 
this game does not need that. And so at every step of the way, when whether you're evaluating a big thing like should I have vehicle creation rules or a small thing like uh, does this particular shock card have uh, mechanics that are fun and interesting and simple and easy to understand, you can always go back to evaluating that against your core activity and your your design goals. And so that will tell you how complicated a, a decision you want to make, whether your audience wants something super duper crunchy or whether you're uh, pitching it to people who want something sort of more uh, free flowing. And you can go from everything from your complexity level to how much you're trying to simulate reality level versus uh, emulating genre. There's a, And that's a core statement that you can keep going back to again and again in everything from character generation to uh, the way that you write the sample adventure. Uh, and uh, I actually know uh, another designer who's looking for info on like writing modules. How would you go into creating a module for a game? Uh, so the first thing to think about is what are the what structure does that game provide for what a an adventure looks like? So. D&D, to give you a classic example, revolves around a physical location with adversaries in it, whereas a vampire scenario is going to be about the people that you can interact with and their relationships and the way the, the existing politics works and then how you can enter into that politics. In a gumshoe game, the, the structure it gives you is about moving from scene to scene as you pick up different clues along the way and understand more of what's going on and are also confronted with the actions of your adversaries. And in any of these formats, you also want to ask yourself, what choices do the players get that make the experience their own rather than them just being dragged by the nose through a particular script? It's much easier to write a linear narrative than it is to write one in which the players get significant choices where those choices actually matter and make it feel different and make it feel unique to them. Because, of course, the more choices you introduce, the bigger your word count gets. And so I'm still continually looking for ways to uh, build more choice into scenarios without having them just be complete kind of freeform messes because people who want published adventures, uh, some of them just want to have a set of cool ideas to rip off, but others, you know, don't have that much prep time or aren't as confident improvising. And so they want something that's sort of uh, more laid out. There is a um, book that I've published through the Kraken. It has a, it's the new sort of chat book publishing arm of a German game convention. And it's called uh, Sharper Adventures in Hero Quest Glorantha. And it shows you how to structure adventures, but you can take those principles and apply them to any game. And in fact, later on, we're going to do another book that is uh, system agnostic in that way. So there's even sort of a way that it lays out how the structure works. But almost invariably, a a well-designed game will either have through the example of their introductory adventures or by actually laying out what the building blocks of a scenario are, they will show you what the formula is and you just have to do that instead of trying to reinvent the wheel. Yeah, one system that I've read about is it's called the iceberg method where you basically work the module backwards. You start with like the reason or you start with why they're doing what they're doing and then you work back just to like the different points that the characters are get to. So 
you have all the information, then you introduce the players at the end, basically. Uh, yeah, any mystery scenario works like that because you have to plot it in two directions. You have to plot what did the antagonist do and how does that all make sense that they did all those things? And then what is the series of uh, scenes or encounters that is then going to allow the players to slowly uncover those elements, uh, which in the classic Call of Cthulhu model are referred to the, the layers of the onion skin. Um, and so the mystery scenarios are very challenging uh, to write because they have to be very logical and, and worked out and still have choice. And that's one of the reasons why people will buy mystery scenarios Whereas for a lot of other games, adventures don't sell nearly as well as a core game because the core game gives people everything they need to create their own. But the mystery scenario is sort of an, an, an additional couple of levels of difficulty on top of that. So a thing that I'm sure a lot of people come across, writer's block. How do you overcome writer's block? Um, I, I do not struggle with writer's block. Uh, <laughs> if you are doing this for a living, that is very clarifying. <laughs> If you know how much money you need to earn at the end of the day in order to pay your rent, that is helpful. Writer's block is almost invariably not about writing. It's about taking care of your mental health. It is almost uh, certainly that you are dealing with a depression or anxiety issue. And so the thing there is to don't ask role-playing game designers to advise you, but seek professional help. Uh, Because like a, a lot of things... That we, uh, that we seem to experience in, in life, whether it's uh, struggles with religious faith or, or writer's block or actually depression. So get that looked into. So that'd be one of the things that you'd want to talk to your publisher or whatnot about, just let them know that you're going through something. And Yeah, I mean, uh, obviously any decent publisher is going to be very respectful of someone going through a mental health crisis and, and let them know and step back. And of course... Once you're, you know, the way depression works is it, depression causes your brain to give you a lot of bad advice. And so you may be hearing the voice that says, just don't admit it, just don't admit it. But to the extent that you possibly can, given what you're dealing with, be really clear about what's going on. Because uh, your brain is trying to set you up for failure and you sort of have to trick it into uh, being communicative and open about what's going on. All right. And one last thing I want to talk about. World creation. You've created some worlds, both sort of Earth-based and fictional-based. How would you go about like creating a whole new world? So again, for role-playing purposes, the question is, what are the characters going to do? And then build a world that makes the doing of that very important. So the, uh, the world of the Yellow King, which is... Uh, one of them is historic. There's four settings in this game. One of them is uh, historical Paris in 1895 as the beginning of this supernatural conspiracy exists. So I don't know how to have to invent Belle Epoque Paris. I have to research it. Then there are a couple of alternate realities. So in those realities, it's like what th- sort of sub themes do I want to explore uh, and what things do I want to have happen and have the players be able to interact with in the game and then work backwards to uh, the world. The other way of doing it is, especially if you're sort of trained in the fantasy or science fiction tradition, is, well, start from the very ground up and work (laughs) out the entire history of everything and the linguistics, you know, do the whole Tolkien thing. Uh, But Tolkien, even Tolkien was creating Middle Earth in order to have that 
epic adventure take place in it. And one thing that you have to be careful about is spending a lot of time, and especially the reader's time, word count, on things that they can't pa- possibly interact with, right? So, so don't start your role-playing game with the version of the Silmarillion of your setting. <laughs> Describe what's going on now and what the players are, uh, characters are doing in that world now and the things that are interesting to adventurers. And then backwards, when it comes up, then you can say, oh, well, and of course, as you go down into this crypt, the, the elf player knows that this is the elf civilization from 100,000 years ago, and then you tell them about it. So just like a, a good a movie set in an imaginary world tells you only as much about that world as you need to know to follow the action, make sure that when you're designing a world, you're designing a world to support the sort of events that you want to take place. So uh, think of the kind of adventures you want to have happen as the characters uh, pursue the core, core activity and then build in the cool things that they can interact with and then, you know, make it make sense from there, but don't spend a lot of time on stuff that the, again, the players can't possibly interact with or care about. So in other words, it's okay to have a Similarian, just don't publish it. The temptation when you have the Silmarillion is to publish it. (laughs) So uh, the question is, are you thinking of cool things that the player characters can do, or are you spending a year designing a world detail by detail from the world up, and then only then, after you've locked everything down and put it in place, are you going, okay, so what do people do? <laughs> so, oh, okay, I haven't left anything for them to do, or what they're doing is actually the 100,000 words or 200,000 words of your Silmarillion uh, just sort of lock you into decisions that don't have anything to do with that core activity. So I, I would always say for a role-playing setting, if you can't explain how it fits your design goal, you're wasting your time or worse, you're precluding uh, fun things that you could otherwise have in your game. All right, that's a good information there. And uh, as, as a fun little thing, we're going to do a little cre- a world creation ourselves. Well, Garvin will be doing it. I'm going to just read into questions. And so, first off, Robin, we're going to start with what would now. This could be for any setting, any system, any genre. It doesn't have to be specific to anything. So, what would be the name of the world that you're going to be creating? Uh, let's call it Urath, which Urath. sounds kind of like Earth, but is a little different. So that's a long-standing uh, tradition, and for the purpose of a podcast, I'm I'm happy to continue that tradition. Okay. And what's the general shape of this world? This world is a, a slope. A slope. So, a slope. It is not a globe. It is not a, a world that obeys our physics, but is a, a literal uh, slope uh, that goes from the, uh, the bottom is where uh, all of the demons and, and the darkness and people's evil thoughts and cruelty, uh, that's where that dwells. And then as you go further and further up the slope, you go further into the realm of ideals. And the very top of the slope is where things stop being people and, and things and start becoming abstract ideals. So the very top of the slope are, is the plane of sort of platonic abstraction. And so uh, uh, people can't live in either the top or the bottom of the slope, but they can live in the, in the middle part of the slope, the, the median that uh, supports human life and does not transform you into either a demon or an abstraction. All right, that's a, <laughs> that's a new one. Uh, 
So what's what's the world history of this world? Uh, this world was originally uh, a diagram uh, in the notebook of a philosopher. And the philosopher was attempting to prove the complete materialism of the universe and the uh, non-existence of the supernatural. But that happened in a realm uh, where angels and demons, in fact, existed. And so a powerful demon, uh, let's say uh, Lucifer and the archangel Michael, they had a bet that they would then go and show this guy the error of his ways by creating this world and trapping him in it. And the Lucifer is long gone, Michael is long gone. They were never part of this world to begin with. But originally, this was just a, a way of one powerful being trying to show the philosopher the light and the other trying to destroy him uh, that has created this world. And they had to people this world with beings that had free will in order to kind of prove their whole point. And the philosopher is long dead. The beings that created it are long dead. But And, of course, they had to hide it from the more powerful beings in the universe because they would get in trouble for, doing, for having done this. And so it's just sort of ticking along in this pocket dimension. But... But that's the underlying logic of the dimension, which perhaps if you find out that that's what, what's happened, that may give you the power to, to work magic. But most people have no clue that that's what's going on. So what are some of the representative countries of this world? Um, well, the, the countries of the world, of course, vary by uh, how far or down they are along the slope. And so the countries fulfill different sort of philosophical ideas uh, running from the, uh, the the darkest ones down at the bottom. And these are all kind of roughly kind of stripe-shaped nations. Uh, and so, you know, right at the bottom, you have a complete realm of chaos and death. One bit up, you have the kingdom of the necromancers and the, the demonologists, and then you get sort of further. And sort of in the middle, there are different nations that are uh, based on, you know, weird fantasy versions of different philosophies and ideologies that we know from our world. So you have, you know, a quasi-Marxist country, and then you have a, a crazy libertarian country, and you keep going up until the concepts, as you're moving further and further up the slope, come more serene and beneficent until they, too, get kind of weird and, and emotionally inaccessible. I have a philosopher friend who'd probably be, like, drooling over this. Well, he would be my demographic of one for this uh, <laughs> I have a feeling there probably be some more. So what are some of the world threats? Uh, well, the, the world threat is the possibility that either either end of the slope begins to take over the entire system, that the equilibrium established by the original act of creation is beginning to break down as uh, entropy strikes this artificial imaginary world, although, of course, not imaginary to the real people who live in it. And so you're starting to find that the the different nations have been able to kind of live in their own little bubbles in a state of sort of peace. And you, you might trade, you know, your the faux communist uh, nation may trade with the social democratic nation, but it doesn't have to worry about, you know, the, the further away uh, uh, nations. But now there is the ability to migrate between different worlds is beginning to increase and the sort of gates that uh, separate all of these different countries that really only work if everybody agrees that their society works, uh, now you're starting to find rebellion and doubt in all of them. And not just in the, you know, the things that you would color as the, the so-called good countries, but also, you know, within the demon lands and the necromancers, they're starting to go, wait a minute, this, this life of hanging out with demons and, you know, this lake of fire and the, the, that volcano that spews vomit, I, I, I don't want to live there. 
you know, how can I possibly get to go and live in one of the, you know, the the nation of bourgeois respectability and, and uh, small business prosperity that's in the middle of the slope? Can't we go live there? You know, and, and some of the demons are, let's live there by taking it over. And it's, oh, well, we can't do that because, you know, if we go, if we go and take it over, it'll just have vomit lavas and lakes of fire within within years. We got to find a way to change ourselves to all go into the median. And so you're having a period of sort of ferment and also the actual laws of physics and of the sort of agreed consensus sociology are all beginning to uh, break down. And so the question is, is uh, if the whole slope flattens out, if it stops being a slope and then becomes flat and everybody can possibly all uh, interact with each other, is there going to be uh, one society? Is everybody sort of going to go to the middle or is there going to be a great war of extremes that destroys everyone? And so you are the the weirdo characters who can already traverse all of the different areas without uh, being changed and you can easily move through the gates and you have to figure out how do you, uh, you know, what threats do you have to overcome in order to make it more likely that the transition to a flat world is a, a sort of peaceful one that benefits everyone rather than thing that triggers the apocalypse. So you're sort of anti-apocalypse agents uh, looking to uh, make sure that the uh, transition to uh, the sort of great middle is is a peaceful one instead of a, a destruction. All right, and last question. What are some of the world enigmas? Uh, well, the uh, world enigmas you've ever covered is, is that who created this crazy world? Why is there a slope? Uh, is there some way to unlock the, the facts of creation in order to make sure that the uh, either the slope goes back to the status quo and is, is re-energized and everybody is sort of happy or at least unquestioning in their own realms or whether there's a way to, you know, undo the bad things of the creation and make sure that you have, you know, everybody gets to live in, in relative peace and harmony or, you know, will, will that get destroyed? So maybe that's a, a matter of, you know, eventually finding the, the ghost of the philosopher or uh, finding where um, Michael and Lucifer has, have been banished to or finding an alternative and a new, underlying metaphysic for the world that could uh, change it completely. It could even change it into a globe, for goodness sakes. <laughs> and what was the name of this world again? Uh, Urath. Urath. Alright, uh, well that has been an, another episode of Designer's Dungeon and we have a very interesting world from Robin D. Lars to contemplate for our games and it's been a pleasure talking to you again, Robin. A uh, pleasure talking to you. Uh, hopefully we can get you back again sometime. I'd uh, love to. Take care, man. You too, man. Partner, why don't I pour you a sarsaparilla? It's about high noon here in the Swarmcast Saloon. Never mean only one thing. It's about time for a quick draw. Bang, bang! Bang, bang! Bang, bang! Bang, So this is Phoenix Dawn Command by Together Studios. So, Ruby... Uh-huh. What, what RPG did you pick? <laughs> so this is started out to be a a quick start review. Um, it turned out, we're going to caveat this to begin with, that it is not actually a quick start. But this is also not a full game review either. Uh, the game was Phoenix Dawn Command by Together Studios. And what was the gist of the game? The gist of the game is 
you've passed through death and returned stronger than before. You're basically playing these phoenixes for the Empire that you have died at least once already. And you've gone through the crucible and you've overcome trials and whatnot, spiritual trials, and you've come back and you are a devoted person to help beat the dread in this world to basically bring back light and goodness and, and happy times. <laughs> you, you are, for one reason or another, you have come back to life stronger and better bef- than before to protect the help and the weakless, weakness, weaklings and, and to banish the darkness. All right. And as a GM, how easy was it to learn slash prep for this not quite quick start? <laughs> right. So literally yesterday, I pulled open the box because I was told I needed to kind of look at it because I needed to figure out because I thought this was a board game. Mm-hmm. And uh, while I was doing some work for the Scarab game library, I pulled it out with four or five other copies and I'm like, what is this? What's going in the game library? And it is actually an RPG. And on the back of the box, they actually tell you that there's a quick play guide and other game resources on their website. And I thought, Oh goody, this is a quick start. I'll be able to run this. Saturday night. Um, I read about the first four sentences and said, okay, we're good. When they show up, I'll run it. (laughs) (laughs) And then basically because it was a, it was basically four pages of descriptions about the setting and what Phoenixes are and kind of about characters on it. This is why I caveated that this isn't actually a quick start. There's no scenario in it. It doesn't actually create the characters with you. They give you a journal they give you a description of the cards. They give you a description of the world setting and who and what phoenixes are. I think it gives you a very good idea of the game and would be enough to get you interested in it. It's but like, it's more like an advertisement than it is. Or it's something you would hand in the, like, you're playing this at a con and correct. nobody's played this before. Correct. <clears throat> Here's a little four-page splat book about... right what this is and this describes what action cards are and action spreads and defense spreads and (coughs) but it's definitely not something that you would sit down and say okay this is what we're playing tonight for our quick start so overall i took like five minutes (laughs) and we spent about 15 reading through it together and then we had to look at videos and flip through the actual book and that's the other thing that we'll note that we'll we'll note usually in our quick uh, quick start reviews we get they they come from sources that you can get everything you need for free or for a pay what you want fee. Um, you have to actually have the base game in order to even do their player guide because it is a specialty. It doesn't use dice. It actually uses cards and not just playing cards, but actual custom st- cards that have custom text and things like that on it. So you have to have the game in order to even use the player guide. Yeah, so we have pregens. There <laughs> were out of the pregens. There were four pregens, uh, and it, what those four pregens are actually is it looks like from the book there are the four sample characters that they reference in their story and their works when they give examples of saying when you want to do X, Y, and Z. For example, Drake has this card, this card, and that card. Yeah, 
So these are the pre-generated characters that they created for examples in the book that they allow you to download on their website. And there are four of them. And it looks like the game, it says it can be up to six players, but every example they give and all their pre-gens and the way that they tell you to set up the action decks for the game well, and even the supplies in the is game enough box. for four, it looks like. Yeah. Now, I again will say <laughs> I've not read the whole 460-page manual, half of which is seven different story missions. So half of the book they give you is an adventure, is, is a full campaign. So <laughs> 200 plus pages of rules and background I have not read. I, I've read about maybe 20 pages total of the whole thing, scattered throughout the whole thing. So I don't know. There may be more information on how to make it work for six people. But all of their examples I saw quickly was for four. Oh, it says two to five. So six would be the player, would the, be the GM on the box. Well, no, two to five is one, one GM and four players. players. Yeah, yeah. So wherever said six was wrong. Six wings can have up to six people in your wing. But that's in the book. So, yeah. again, not a full review of the game. It's definitely enough for me to be interested in it. Yeah, but so last question, would you check out the full game? I definitely will. Um, I have a feeling that this... I don't run many games during Scarab, but I think I'm going to attempt to run this one on the schedule for Scarab. It's unique enough that, like I said, when I picked up the box, I thought it was a board game at first. And it's not. It's an RPG, but it has a lot of... It has board game elements at one point when we were trying to figure out how the bad guys go in turn sequence. uh, A light bulb hit us and it was like, oh... Turns go like Super Dungeon Explorer. A player gets to go, and then the bad guy gets to go. A player gets to go, bad guy gets to go. You know, but depending on their speed. So it's like, oh, you take turns, so. And you choose which player goes. It's not a set order. It's a, oh, I think John should go this time, and then, then Matt will follow up because these two work really well together in this particular positioning. And so, um, but because it has its own action cards... You don't need... That's why it's kind of a a hybrid of a board game and an RPG. You don't need dice or anything. Pretty much everything you need is right there in this box. Um, I did look it up online. Little plug. It's like 50 bucks. Card quality is pretty good. The book quality is nice. The art's decent. It's not full of art, but it's decent art. It's all black and white. Mm, There's some cardboard chits to help you keep track of your health. Overall, yes. I would want to check out the full thing now everyone else that kind of sat here through the rest of it and we all watched the video and everything if you guys have anything to add to talk about it oh i'm certainly looked interesting um i like the concept of you you die and when you die you get stronger that's actually how you level up but you don't want to die right away because you only have seven lives total the whole concept kind of reminds me of uh destiny like the video game Mm -hmm. it's a kind of change some words around and instead of it's you know futuristic space stuff it's uh, fantasy-esque yeah fantasy but kind of similar okay what about you tim um i would say it has similarities <laughs> to another game uh that would be like bedborn or another video game yeah so or so like it's dark one. souls where <laughs> you die but you come back except in this one you actually level up when you do yeah matt yeah uh production quality is pretty high so yeah production quality is pretty high it looks really neat 
I would be more than happy to play it as... Maybe a con uh, one-shot at least to see... Yeah, a con one-shot or a very defined... It would be, it would be very story. interesting to see an actual quick start or pared down rule or some way. I do know that there are games out there that will print out a limited, like a print-your-own-deck sort of thing for yeah. quick start rules if they have specialty cards. That would be kind of interesting to see. But given the materials in the box, and this is pure speculation, but it feels like you know you you play through it once or twice, and that's you get to see everything, all the cards that the game includes for you to play with. Gotcha. So. I know John brought this up when we were playing. He's a little silent because he has a, a bit of a throat problem right now. That when we were playing it, he was like, oh, this reminds me of that card game Untold, where basically it's a cooperative storytelling game where you're using cards to tell a story, but you have to say, basically it's kind of like a fairy tale where you play the cards to create the story, but you come up with the flavor and the, the words. And I mentioned that it was like another RPG like Fate, where you you create tags and you kind of... Mm-hmm. you how well you will add and then also we mentioned exalted an earlier version of exalted where the more descriptive you are the better bonuses you get from the marshal so it's 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 got a lot of different genres i'm not sure i quite agree that that you play it once or twice and you've seen it yeah you may have seen all the abilities but how you use them and you convince the marshal that this applies this way yeah it's uh, interpretive there, there were like each of the deck had like 30 traits in it, and yeah. each character only had like five. I think if it really jabbed with the playgroup, uh, they could play with it for a long time. Yeah. It didn't look like enough to interest me, okay. so I'll put it that way. Okay. <laughs> gotcha. <laughs> yeah. You did spend a little more time looking at the cards where I spent more time looking at the book. Mm-hmm. All right. If, if you think you can say or want to say anything, John. <clears throat> I thought it was really fun. <laughs> no, I, 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 I um, sort of agree with some of what Matt said, how... It would be neat to see this, um, to play this out in a, like a shorter campaign kind of thing. Not a, um, you know, just to see how that, because I'm curious how the progression, character progression Mm -hmm. works and how more of the RP elements of it kind of work. Mm -hmm. Because I I didn't really get a good feel for like the overall setting per se based off of what we did because we just pretty much did a let's fight a monster. Right, right. It was a, okay, well, we read through all of this. Now let's just fight something. Right. Because we don't have any real structure. Let's just, I don't know. And I grabbed one thing off the deck that basically killed someone right off the bat. They got to go twice, and then uh, the monster got to go once and would have killed them right off the bat. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I did grab, you know, something that had an attack that did like 10 damage and they only have 5 health. So, you know. With with no chance, you only get two. They only, as a starting character, only get two cards to defend. Then there's no way you could make a fourteen out of the two cards. Might have been a boss. <laughs> Might have been, you know, or or at least a rank two type thing. <laughs> anyway, this was Phoenix Dawn Command. Um, not quite Kickstart or Quick Start uh, review. Yay! And if you're interested in it, there'll be some of these surprises at <clears throat> Scarab 2019. Podcast at gmail dot I admit that I'm impressed since I'm Hadrick, someone legit to come and sit and talk some stuff. Stuff. <laughs> <laughs>
Ah, well, it's time to check in on one of our hosts. Let's see how he's doing. Let me give Calvin a call. Hey, Calvin, you there? Hey, yeah. What's going on? Not much. Hi, John. How's it going? Ah, you know, it's going pretty good. What you got going on today? Oh, not much. I'm just, uh, I don't know, going through going through my different <laughs> Skype contacts, just calling up people at random. So uh, That's usually what I do, too. <laughs> I, get, I get lonely, and I'm just like, eh, eh, you know, this. I haven't talked to this person in ages. Why not? <laughs> I was just thinking about you just recently because I was reading this preview for something coming out called the, the Pillion Report, I think is what it said. Oh, yeah? And I was like, hey, Calvin lives out in Pillion. So I was like, let's see what's, I what's do. going on here. Well, there's not much not much to report from Pillion, though. Really? Because I hear there's going to be Kinda some... small. I hear there's some centaurs and cyclopses and some... Uh, I do believe I heard my daughter was saying there were some spottings of cyclops and uh, something like that uh, recently. But, you know, we... We get that kind of crazy all up out here all the time, so you know. Hey, wait a minute! I'm looking through this. Minotaur. This oh, this isn't even about Pillion, South Carolina. This is what? Oh, this has to do with. Wait, there's another Pillion. You know what? I'm gonna get somebody on this call who's gonna help straighten this whole thing out for us right now. Hold on a second. All right, ladies and gentlemen, please welcome to the Swarmcast, uh, Charles White of Fabled Environments. How you guys doing? Oh, hey, Charles, how's it going? Not too bad, not too bad. So so apparently there's another Pillion, and Pillion, South Carolina, is not the center of the universe, which I was I was taught, so that's confusing. <laughs> no, no, when we talk about Pillion Report, we're talking about actually Greece, so Mount Pillion, oh. uh, the home of the centaurs. That makes- I, I do seem to recall um, something about that. That makes a whole lot more sense. It's kind of cool you guys have got a pillion in South Carolina, but definitely not what we're talking about. <laughs> well, uh, huh. well, you know, I, I, I got to say, pillion South Carolina has been, been, been fairly good to me. So, uh, you know, anything with the name pillion in it's got, got to be pretty cool. Yeah, but I don't think you guys have centaurs and things like that floating around. At least I hope you don't. You never can tell, you know. We got <laughs> we got swamp people and all that, like lizard men. I think is pretty pretty big thing around here. All right. Wow. Well, well before we get into that craziness, uh, Charles. <laughs> again, Charles, you're 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 with a company called Fabled Environments. What exactly is the deal with Fabled Environments? What kind of what kind of stuff do you guys do? Well, we've been in we've been around for over oh geez, about fifteen years now. We started out doing modern floor plans, so we do everything from ch- uh, modern churches to we've actually done a 1.5 million square foot mall. We've done a bunch of different modern structures, and recently, in the last few years, we moved into doing um, some short adventures where Savage Worlds licensee, so we do some stuff for that, um, and we've actually uh, started moving into settings, which is where the Pelion Report comes in. You do the map. I, I remember the maps. Yeah, I, <laughs> I did this. Uh, what was what is now called the, the uh, Pharaoh's Challenge, where I had I was running as a GM and and used one of your maps. A nice little diner. All kinds of bad things happened in that, but that's a whole other story. <laughs> yeah, that's one of the things we do a lot of too. Is we provide floor plans from the catalog to GMs of different conventions, or if they're running at a local game store for a group. Things like that, because we can't always be in all the locations we'd love to be in. Not to mention, you know, I'm a gamer. Uh, I have a regular game, and really, these games are meant to go out on the table. And this stuff is made for GMs and for players, so we want it out there. It's great for folks to use it and for folks to get to know who we are. Cool. Well, you mentioned you're a gamer. Are there any particular games or such that maybe you're into currently that you want to mention? Yeah, I mean, obviously RPGs, but even more than that, my son absolutely loves uh, Santorini. 
which is a really cool little board game. Kind of ties into the whole Greek theme, but um, it's a lot of fun. I mean, it's eight and really has a blast. And my daughter's six, and she does too. So that's what we've been playing a lot more of recently. Okay, and I think that's. I think we just recently got a copy of that in in uh, one of our libraries that we can. I'm sure get to our table soon. I've been looking at it. It looks really neat. Yeah, it's pretty. It's a fun play and. I mean, two, three, and you can play four player if you need to. But yeah, it, it's a, it, there's not a lot of great two player games out there, so that's why we really love it. Well, cool. And you said it's got a nice little Greek kind of theme, which ties in with Olympus Inc. Absolutely, we've got three settings that we're currently in the catalog. But my favorite, because it's my baby, is Olympus Inc. It actually started out as a kind of a I don't know a joke, if you will. But I was talking to a buddy of mine uh, about a project that he worked on, which was basically a, a Greek style. A game with demigods and i said well what happens if we move that into the modern world and then the response was well are you going to write it and so <laughs> olympus sync was born yeah so really i mean there's a lot of inspirations we draw from we draw from a little bit of cyberpunk and Shadowrun. we draw from kind of the mission impossible and also we draw from like percy jackson things like that so there's some really cool feels to the game and it's a lot of fun it's not uh, really a a child game, if you will. It's not like a, a traditional Percy Jackson kind of feeling. It does have some of those more gritty elements, but I love it because it's just really playable. It's got a lot of directions you can go with it. And again, it's Savage World, so I'm... Um I know I'm a licensee, but I've always been a fan for years. Oh, yeah. Savage Worlds is a great system. And there's so many different really awesome settings that that come out for that. And I got to admit, when I looked at uh, everything that I've seen for the Olympus Inc., um, because I'm also a big Shadowrun fan, so I do see things in there that I go, that that makes me think of Shadowrun in in so many ways right there. Yeah, it's kind of fun because it's got elements, but it's not Shadowrun. Um, It's also got elements of superpowers, but it's not a supers game by any way, shape, or form. There's basically safeguards in the, in the game, I mean, because it wasn't designed to be a low-powered super game either. So you've got powers and things like that, but really it's more designed to be um, more of a modern game. So, so you said it, it has some some of the Greek elements, but what's, what's the basis behind Olympus? What's the, the general, like, grand scheme? Sure. So basically what happened is that the Olympians, with all their bickering and all their nasty and fighting, uh, it got so bad that Gia, the Earth Mother, had enough of it. So she kicked them out of Olympus. Um, she put the Titans back in, in, in rule of the world. The other thing that she did to ensure that the Titans just didn't go along and wipe out the Olympians, because, you know, there's some bad blood there, is something called the Nemesis Effect, which means that the Olympians and the Titans can't directly influence things. And to kind of put them in a prison of their own making, Gaia released the Lethe River onto the world. So the world has no recollection of Greek gods, of Greek mythos, of anything. So if they see a Greek temple, they have no idea what it is. It's like Stonehenge to them. And the other rule is, is you cannot use any type of open powers around uh, what they call sleepers, normal people. So the ones that actually have powers are what are known as awakened. And so if they do use powers around people that are non-awakened or sleepers, the nemesis comes down and does really bad things to them. It could be everything from just stunning them to actually wounding them to trying, making them go blind to losing powers. It's, it's nasty. Yes, you've got that kind of a shadow war feeling in it as well, because they can't act and open all the time. 
Right, right. So, so what type of characters do the players uh, usually end up playing in Olympus Sync? So a lot of times you're going to be what's known as um, freelance teams. So it's kind of like Shadowrun, but really the mission styles are going to change. And it, it, you could do everything from intrusion to straight up assault. But a lot of it is trying to work against the Titans. So the way the Olympians found power, because they began to die when they came on the Earth, is instead of having temples, because nobody remembered them, they actually formed corporations. And so the the people that were in the corporations, the people that bought their products became their kind of de, fa- de facto followers. So they are the, the pretty much the force of good. I use that term loosely because it's like most corporations. But then the Titans also have a, a focus on the world, and um, their mission is really to destroy the world and destroy the Olympians, but they can't do it directly. So you've got groups like um, the Peace Initiative, which just came up in one of my games, uh, which is a group that's really, the, the stated mission is they're a peace organization. What they do is they use all their contacts to do things like run biological weapons and guns and uh, all this kind of crazy stuff. So there's always this layer to everything they do, that nice outer persona that they use to do all this evil. Kind of an interesting situation that the players find themselves in. That does sound pretty cool. It sound, and you're right, it does have a very shadow to run more of more like the more the the corporate espionage type of type of vibe to it i i, I hate to keep comparing it to to shatter and one of the things i always tell myself is uh whenever you're talking to somebody about their game do your best not to just constantly compare it to some other some other game but it's but there's enough other things oh, yeah. going on here <laughs> no and i agree because you've got some like for example not yeah what we have is what we call bloodline so the weird thing about this is that you're not just a child of when the olympians were kicked out they lost their ability to sire children so the way that folks actually manifest their powers is where the awakening comes in it's biological it's it's in your dna and something sparks it and you manifest your powers and so um you we do have other races uh we have um minotaurs which they're they're minospawn they're smaller minotaurs if you will satyrs the new book is going to have centaurs and what they call cyclospawn which think of it as a six foot tall uh, cyclops so we've got some of those races built into the 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 DD bloodlines as well. So it has some of that feeling, you know, you get your, you, know, you get the ogres and the elves and we kind of have our bloodlines as well. So I can see the comparison. And uh, I'm sorry. It's when you said there, when you mentioned minotaurs and you're like, they're minotaurs, but they're, you know, smaller. I, I understand what you're saying. They're not the huge. Uh, oh no. But, but I immediately went to this, yeah, you know, it so, would be hard to hide that one. <laughs> but I, 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 so immediately, the, it, oh, I was going to say, I immediately went to the, the pun of, Oh, so they're mini tars. <laughs> <laughs> Well, and you mentioned a good point, too. One of the cool things about the setting, and, and all of these were questions we had to answer. Okay, if this is the rule, then how do you have Minotaurs walking around? Because they immediately break the rule. They get seen. All of these races have the ability to transform. They have a human form, um, which is true for the monsters. We have what's known as intelligent mythical beings. So you may have this hideous being. But they have a human form, and they can decide to remain human, or they can transform into their true self. When they transform into their true self, they have access to more powers because they're manifesting the true self. So that's one of the ways we kind of get around that. And that's a cool thing for player characters, too, because they have to balance that. Do I transform and have a little bit of power? All right. Do I stay, stay a human and have a little bit of power, or do I transform and have a lot of power? But then again, there's that security guard right over there that doesn't know anything. If I do that, bad things are going to happen to me. What do I do? So... Right. So, so yeah, just walking around as a as a cyclops is probably not your best bet. No, not at all. <laughs> <laughs> then we have uh, we have alchemical formulas that are in there too. So we have that little bit of alchemy involved, but um, it, it's pretty cool. And then of course, lots and lots of modern weapons, which are always fun. 
Well, cool. So you had mentioned how your, you know, your new book's going to have centaurs and and uh, cyclops types in there. Uh, so tell us about this. Tell us about this new book. This is the whole thing that caused me to call Calvin to begin with, because uh, it's apparently has something to do with with the Pillion Report. Yeah. So we're trying to find a name for the Pillion Report, and as I mentioned, uh, Mount Pillion is the home of the centaur. Mm-hmm. So. That was a cool tie-in, and the book has centaurs. But in our first book, we, we had six of the bloodlines we covered, just really quickly. That was Apollo, Zeus, Dionysus, Ares, Hermes, and Aphrodite. This new book is going to cover five more. So basically Hera, Hephaestus, Artemis, I always forget some. There's several bloodlines, as well as the um, Cyclops, what we call Cyclospawn, uh, as well as the centaur in the book. And then, of course, new, all kinds of new monsters, which are always fun, too. So this this particular book, the uh, the Pillion Report, uh, which has nothing to do with Pillion, South Carolina, which is <laughs> which is known for its uh, boiled peanuts, apparently. Yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> we have a huge peanut party. You know. I hear centaurs love boiled peanuts, though. So. Well, let's see, it works. Awesome. <laughs> I must be part centaur then. Uh, so, 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 <laughs> so, so the Pillion Report. This is coming to Kickstarter pretty soon, if I if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, we're going to be launching at the middle of September. So, Savage Worlds Black is going to be out, which is their code name for the new Savage Worlds. And from what I've seen on the publisher side, it, it's really exciting stuff. So, we're going to be uh, compatible with the new one, and actually, I believe we'll probably be the first Kickstarter out that is. So, that's kind of fun. That is. But yeah, that's coinciding. So they're going to basically launch as soon as we end. So that's kind of neat. So you'll have a product that you know you can use with the new uh, format. And we're excited about the new format as well. But And hopefully folks will be excited about the new book because there will be plenty of new edges and hindrances and new powers and all kinds of really fun things to flesh out the, the world. The only thing that we're going to do that's left after that book is our third book, which is going to focus primarily on Hades and Poseidon. Ooh. So that should be a lot of fun. Ooh, that sounds like it should be fun. Yeah. So yeah, let's... and then we're gonna try and throw in some of the minor gods as well there. So that'll be good. Oh, really cool. Really cool. So so not only will folks be able to to get in on this Kickstarter for this new book for Olympus Inc., uh, but they'll it'll in a weird way they'll be getting kind of maybe a little bit of a taste or preview for for some of the stuff that's coming down with um, like you said, Savage Worlds Black or or whatever they're going to call it. The new version of Savage Worlds. I just saw that announcement for that today and I was super stoked about that. I was, I was Yeah, they like, clean up some uh-huh. I was going to say they clean up a few things, and yeah, we're, we're, our product's going to be compatible. We'll probably be out later than them because Pinnacle really is phenomenal about, you know, when they have a Kickstarter they launch, they put the product out extremely fast, which is awesome. So um, we'll be out after them, but we'll be funded before them. So that's always fun. <laughs> <laughs> Well, very cool. So this is a good time to to definitely get on this. Now, uh, with your Kickstarter for the Pelion Report, um, is there going to be like, a, are you going to offer backers the ability to to purchase the the main book along with this if they want to? Absolutely. So if you're new to if you're new to Olympus Inc., then yeah, absolutely, you'll be able to purchase the uh, the base book as well as the uh, second book, which is Pelion. We're going to have some adventures from some decent names, and I shouldn't say decent. I could be more insulting. Uh, some good names, wonderful writers in the Savage Worlds community. Hopefully, they're still writing for me after this. Uh, but, but yeah, I mean, so we're going to have some adventures built in, we, we, and we've already got a few that have been released. So I think it's great because you're going to get a system, I mean, a, a setting that actually you can just dive right in, and you don't have to worry about it because you're going to have 
support in the form of adventures. Uh, we have a few other things that we're looking at doing too. We talk briefly. I don't think I'm speaking out of turn, but we talk to the folks over a cast of cards, and so we'll probably do a set for Olympus Inc. specifically. And if you're not familiar with cast of cards, they are absolutely amazing resources for or Savage Worlds. They're in the size of playing cards, and they're basically NPCs. Yeah. Um, front is your stats, back is your is your kind of a uh, overview of what the what the NPC is. So it's amazing. So we're excited about that too. That's very cool. I've got a few a few things from Cast of Cards, and I I, I like that stuff. But I I'm I, a I'm sucker for anything that comes in a card format. And B, you're right, it just, <laughs> it just works really really well for for Savage Worlds. Um, I don't know if they or if somebody does cards for the different powers for Savage Worlds, but I would love to get my hands on something like that too. Yeah, then that's not a bad idea either. I mean, we may end up doing something like that for for uh, Olympus because there are we're building on the powers each book too so each each book is going to have new powers from existing bloodlines um the other thing is just the weapons i just did a mock up of some weapon cards and it was so fun at conventions to go here you go here's your your pylon 101 which is oh, a lot the weapons are are yeah are geared right towards the setting and so here you go here's your weapon and these are not i didn't just take an ar15 and and just put a new name on it these are actually redrawn weapons so they're really cool oh that's kind of oh yeah man. yeah it's 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 really neat we got really lucky with that you are because finding concept weapons are not easy yeah you are definitely talking my language now <laughs> holy crap because uh, yeah Shad- so is a shadow run fan yeah because <laughs> as a shadow run fan one of the weapons we have is a fully automatic shotgun oh nice <laughs> yeah i have my my one my my home game player is that is a um a paragon of Hephaestus, and he loves blowing things up and firing a uh, fully automatic shotgun which with slugs in it so that's devastating huh oh wow that that sounds like something that my character one of my characters would, would totally do. be into yeah <laughs> mm-hmm. oh wow so you mean i can have explosive and a fully automatic and shotgun, a fully automatic shotgun. <laughs> oh wow um so so just to remind everybody, so we are talking about uh, Olympus Inc. Look for the Pil- the Pelion report. I keep wanting to say Pelion. Thanks, Calvin. Pelion, uh, man. Uh, which is gonna, <laughs> but it's it's but it's coming to to Kickstarter. Um, you said about second week or so of September. Yeah, it's gonna be the middle of September. Middle of September. Or it's gonna be that Tuesday. I can't remember what the date is off the top of my head. I think it's the sixteenth. But yeah, no, it'll be the middle of September. And um, we're really excited. I mean, we're stoked to bring this book out. We've been working on it for. A long time. If anybody's followed us, there's been some history behind the book. There was a, a, a failed Kickstarter that, that happened a long time ago, a lot of drama behind it, and we work with Kickstarter to work through all of that, and we're excited, and I think they are too, so this is awesome. Well, this is very cool. Um, well, Charles, uh, Charles, I need to, to just take a quick pause from the recording for a bit, and then we'll come right back and talk with you some more about some more Fabled Environments uh, stuff, some of your other settings and some of your other products. Hey, this is Toast. Um, go ahead and leave a Swarmcast a message. Remember our number, area code 803-470-4439. Maybe we'll use our message on the air. Who knows? And so, yeah, that was a that was a very refreshing break. Uh, I know I feel refreshed. I, I went down to Pillion really quick and got some boiled peanuts. Yeah, um, I, there's a guy selling them right outside my house. I think they just set up their little stands right, and right, right outside your house. Oh, you, you want some boiled peanuts? And you're like, and you're like, you're like, get off my front lawn, you crazy get old off, man. Get off my yard! And he just throws you a bag of peanuts, and you go, all right, you can stay there for a oh. few more days. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'll give you. I'll give you another day or two. <laughs> 
So we are we are still here talking with Charles White from uh, Fabled Environments. We actually just got we just sort of got through talking with him about, in particular, their their Savage World setting for Olympus Inc. and in, and more specific to that, the Pelion Report, which is a Kickstarter that's going to be going live around the middle of September. I love how I just repeated everything for the people who were probably listening about five minutes ago. <laughs> so they're gonna be we get it we get it but that's fine it's in well the, you know they they may have forgot during that uh short break yeah, yeah. they may have taken a break too so you never know and who knows uh we probably played some weird wacky song or something like that right in the middle yeah. of all that that's not so there was a short toast segment in there that's true <laughs> we probably came on and told people how to make some sort of food or something <laughs> That's right. We do a f- we do a food segment on the on the show now because some other hosts wanted a food segment on the show. <laughs> it's like a quick gamer foods kind of yeah. kind of thing. Cool. Yeah. Gamers and food, right? Oh yeah. Who knew? Yeah. Who knew that would be such a good combo? <laughs> right. I would have never guessed. So so Charles, before we get too too far down this uh, food hole, as it were. <laughs> I know that I know you've got some some other settings uh, for fabled environments. You mentioned that there's some uh, Savage Worlds adventures that have come out that that you guys are part of and utilize some of your maps. And of course, you mentioned the maps, and we've we've definitely uh, as a GM, I know I appreciate all the the different maps and all the support that you've given many of us in our uh, GMing and convention type of experience. So why don't you tell us about some of the other fabled environment products other than. Sure. Olympus Inc. Because we've already sold all this Olympus Inc. on to these uh, other people who are listening to the show. Awesome. They can pick that up after they pick up their maps. So Yeah. There you go. <laughs> so there are two other lines that we've, we're done. We um, One's been released and the other is in production right now. But the first one is absolutely amazing. Yes, I'm biased. But um, it's a book that we estimated at Kickstarter being 180 to 200 pages. It went over 300 um, it's a setting called Buccaneer through hell and high water. So it basically takes um, – it's kind of a cross between 50 Fathoms and the Spanish Main. It's kind of in the middle there. So you've got a lot of historical elements, but then you've got a lot of um, supernatural elements as well. And the cool thing that Brett and his team did on that one uh, was create um, a mechanism for basically making ships as characters. So you can, as your, your Buccaneer crew grows, as your ship grows with them, um, it's really, really neat. Um, one of my favorite little, very quickly, one of my favorite little mechanical components to that game is instead of dying, they have the ability to lose a limb, which is so piratey. Oh. It's really kind of fun. Yeah. Wow. So I can have my peg leg? Yeah. yeah you so, can, and, you and, can have all four peg limbs. Oh, yeah. <laughs> call you Stumpy. Um <laughs> But no, it's it's a it's a really awesome game. I mean, you've got elements that, like I said, are kind of historical, kind of nuts. So the Templars are running around, the Puritans are running around, um, and there's a lot of really kind of fun elements to it. Voodoo is the magic of the system. Um, it's just really it's really a blast. If you like pirates, you are going to love this. There's a lot of effort and time put into this book, so it's absolutely amazing. So it's um, Chris Fox and Chris Landauer of uh, Savage Cast are involved in this, as well as Brett. Ween, wine, don't kill me, Brett. Um, <laughs> uh, Yellow Peace Games uh, are, the, are the the driving force behind that book. It's awesome. The other one is a book we called um, we. Um, I was privileged to be involved with. It was called Monster Hunters Club. So think uh, kind of eighties Goonies, uh, Ghostbusters, a lot of those kind of uh, more kid driven movies. Um, you play kids, 
and you're faced with supernatural, but it's the 80s, so you just can't pick up your cell phone and call mom. So there's a lot of elements, and Darren Miller, who's the force behind the book, is a huge fan of that genre, so his archetypes are very much driven towards um, things you'd find in them. You'll immediately, when you see them, you'll go, oh, yeah, I remember that character, like the chunk, and um, the, uh, it, there's all kinds of – yeah, and there's all kinds of really cool references – back to those style of movies, and he's a genius with regards to that and that setting. Um, that's almost finished the writing. It's going into editing now, so we're privileged with that. And then I've got one more setting coming out next year, which is a fantasy setting. It's got um, kind of a Japanese-esque feel, so that's really cool. We don't have a name for it yet, but we're in pre-production, so exciting stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So you jump from, from Greece to Japan. I like Kind it. of. It's more of that Japanese style, not necessarily Japanese um, uh, setting, but more of a Japanese style artwork and things like that. Oh, okay. um, gotcha. Yeah, but yeah, I mean, we're jumping from modern Greece, or modern Greek superheroes, if you will, demigod, uh, savage worlds, Shadowness kind of, into 1980s kids. So, I mean, there's some breath there. Huh. Yeah, just a little bit. <laughs> So with the the Monster Hunters Club, you mentioned Darren Miller. He's he's a South Carolina. He's a South Carolinian as well. So um, I know he's at, at a lot of the conventions that I've been to around the area. He's been uh, he's definitely been play testing Monster Hunters Club. So I haven't gotten to play in him in any of them, but I've I've definitely seen a lot of happy people, um, excited people sitting at his tables playing that. And I remember what he made a, a comment about how he uh, he had some some younger folks at one table at one point and he found that to be the most challenging to try to run the game for for a younger a much younger crowd yeah what's a rotary phone right what yeah yeah let me, ex- let me explain yeah it- <laughs> let me explain the wait. 80s to you wait what? but i don't why understand where's the cell phone I, yeah, why can't i connect the wi-fi what <laughs> exactly exactly i mean it's one of those weird kid games that you don't want to play with kids because they don't understand it <laughs> So if you combine Monster Hunters Club and Buccaneer, then do you end up with the Goonies? Ooh. Uh, Ooh. A little bit of a crossover there. There you go. Part one could be Buccaneer where you're playing One-Eyed Willie and his crew. And part two could be (laughs) the Monster Hunters Club where you've got the Goonies uh, looking for One-Eyed Willie's treasure. And then your kids get older, the world goes down the toilet, and you manifest... Uh, Greek power. So there, there you go. go. There you go. Just, you know, <laughs> cross it over. Into Near dystopian go. society. Awesome. Woo. <laughs> see, see, it sounds like some sort of weird thing I would come up with. You could run two tables simultaneously. Uh, the the one group that's doing the the buccaneer part of that, and the other group that's doing the monster hunters club part. So when the buccaneer guys, when they're like, "Well, let's let's uh, park the boat in this cave," and uh, what sort of trap <laughs> should we set up? Let's set up. Let's set up this type of trap. Then you go. Okay. Uh, let me go ahead and, and and whisper some information to the GM at the other table. Yeah. There's a there's some sort of trap of, around pianos in here. I don't know why. There just is. I don't know what it is yet. You're low in a few minutes. Pianos, but you know. Yeah. Not to get off topic. One of the coolest games I was ever in was one uh, at Mace, which is in Charlotte. It's a big gaming convention, and they ran two tables at the same time. One side was playing The Good Adventures. And the opposite side were playing goblins. And so they were running these two tables simultaneously, going through it. And eventually, both tables faced each other. And whoever was left then faced the main bad guy. So it was really kind of cool. But, yeah, it'd be fun to do that. Uh, it sounds a lot like the idea we had, John, with the, the kobolds and goblins. Yeah, kobolds versus goblins. Hmm. That'd be fun. Yeah. 
so we've, we're, we're we're excited about what's coming down the line and uh, what uh, what we've got out. Where what is the easiest way for somebody to get all of the stuff that you already have out, not the Kickstarter stuff? So everything we've got is on Drive Through or RPG Now. The 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 industry term is one bookshelf, but go to Drive Through RPG or RPG Now and just search for Fabled Environments. You'll see our entire catalog, including the Olympus Inc. line, uh, Buccaneer, all of it. Anything that's out is there. So it's it's real easy to find and take a look. Um, there's a preview document for the first book. There's a preview document for this upcoming book as well. So if you're interested in Olympus Inc., that'll give you a, something to sink your teeth into as well. Very cool. And nice. people and you've and people can also f- uh, just go to fabledenvironments.com to just see all the different products as well. Exactly. And then fa- we do a lot on Facebook. So we've got a Fable Environments Facebook page, and we have a specific um, Olympus Inc. Facebook page as well. I try to post on both. And then, of course, we're active in the G Plus community um, in Savage Worlds and some of the other role-playing sites, too. Very cool. So are you are you Thanks. going to continue putting out some more uh, floor plans and such? Yeah, we've got uh, – the exciting one is finishing off Buccaneer. We're going to produce a uh, – we're producing. We're almost finished with a boat, a ship. But we're going to do a few more for Monster Hunters Club, which is a two-screen uh, movie theater and a gas station then we'll move back into doing more uh, strictly you know 2018 floor plans with some hope of maybe doing another large uh, floor plan like we've done with the the mall and the high school maybe do a small hospital or something like that um, and then we can t- we're going to continue uh, I know that the folks at Buccaneer are planning on doing some more with that as well expanding that out and then of course we got one book after Pelion to finish off the um, the core 13 of the uh, Olympians. so, And we'll continue with trying to put out adventures and things like that all across the board. So yeah, I, I'm a big proponent of making sure if a line exists, it needs to be supported. So anybody that backs any of our stuff understand that it's not going to be one of those that's a one and done. It will be supported because these are passion projects for everybody that's involved with them. That's always good to hear. And that's that's very cool. The um I, I like well I I've I've liked everything that I've seen so far on your your different websites and uh on uh Facebook and such. Um I'm also I'm also a pretty big fan of Savage Worlds. So that doesn't that doesn't hurt either. <laughs> Wait, but, you, yeah. you you play Savage Worlds, John? Uh sometimes. When my gaming group gets together, we, 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 well, we don't even, oh, who am I kidding? My gaming group doesn't play Savage World. Oh, but, that stinks. <laughs> yeah, we're, I, we're also, I don't think I mentioned, oh, I'm sorry. No, no, that's fine. I was just going to say something stupid. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say that we're also, um, I don't know if you guys are familiar with Eloy Lasanta, but he did a, uh, a new universal uh, system called the PIP system. We're a licensee of them, so we're starting, we'll eventually convert Olympus Inc. and Pelion to that system, which is really cool. We've already released one of our converted adventures. We've got another one coming out for that as well. So if you haven't checked that system out, it was uh, just one in any. It was nominated as an Indie Award uh, RPG. I mean, it was it's it's really cool. So that's always neat to see oh, different the uh, PIP system. Yep, just PIP, P-I-P. So it's capital P and small IP system yeah it's Eloy at Third Eye Games did it and it's brilliant when I picked it up I just wanted to take a look at it <laughs> and end up I had to have a license so. oh really cool it's always it's always cool to hear about yeah. people people um, being able to take a system they have and put it into or a, a setting they have rather and put it into multiple gaming systems like that I always I always find that to be an interesting kind of a process yeah it's never easy but uh, it's definitely worth it and they've got two 
they have two different fields. So it's going to be fun to have it available in two different ways um, that folks can access the system. I think that's, I mean, the setting, I think it's great. Well, this is all very, very cool stuff here, Charles. Um, I'm glad that my desire to have peanuts, ultimately, because that's what it was, uh, <laughs> led me to call Calvin and then to bring you on the line to talk about fabled environments, Olympus Inc., all the the different settings, the the new Kickstarter, all of that stuff. Um, and I know I've I've been acting like like I'm kind of unfamiliar with with a lot of your stuff. That's not that's not true. We, <laughs> we've before Cal- Calvin had mentioned a contest that he was in that uh, shall remain nameless, sort of that <laughs> where where you actually had uh, for many years you had provided us with maps to use for for these contests and uh, and those were always those were always some really interesting maps to, to kind of go hmm let's see who's gonna get this random one um and I, I only had uh i think i only had like one complaint about the maps and uh this this guy was kind of you know eh, whatever when i heard his complaint he was because he was playing he did a game in, in a pin dragon and he had i think it was a park and his complaint was that there were bathrooms on the map and there weren't any bathrooms in uh, the pen dragon setting and you know i, I there weren't <laughs> there was not a diner in my setting but I, I made it work that's kind of the point of that that particular contest yeah and i and i said well that's why you lost because you <laughs> no <laughs> that's 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 a that's a friend of the show, Donald Dennis. I I, I can make fun. Of him. Oh, I know Donald. Yeah, yeah. We we're we're all allowed to make fun of him for that because you know. <laughs> so yes, he said, uh, just tell whoever made the maps if they can do something where we can remove the bathrooms from the maps. That'd be that'd be great. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we can do a lot of things with them. We can remove the labels and the furniture and everything. I, but I, we I haven't say, specifically made it so we can remove the bathrooms. I say I say put more bathrooms on your maps just because. So double up on them. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, every map has to have two sets of bathrooms. Not just one, but two sets of bathrooms. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe they need to put a pledge level in Detellion where you can have the Donald Dennis Memorial Bathroom put into a map. So, <laughs> so that's one backer we lost. But um, <laughs> Yeah, no, like I said earlier, if anybody is in a convention setting, if they want prize support, if, um, you know, if there's GMs out there that need floor plans – Take a look at our catalog and then just hit me up as I am on Facebook or something like that. We want to make sure these get out. You do us a favor by getting them on the tables, um, and we just love having them out there. So definitely, I'm approachable. I'm a gamer like the rest of you, so please just reach out. Awesome. Well, uh, Calvin, was there? did you have anything else that you wanted to, to bring up or, or ask Charles before we um, go take uh, a, a more permanent peanut break? I, 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 <laughs> Nah, um, not not particularly. Um, I don't have anything in, in mind at the moment. But mentioning peanuts, though, I was we we do have our festival coming up in in November. <laughs> are, are you putting a plug in for the peanut party? <laughs> no, I I might be. You know, I, I'm actually kind of disappointed. They they used to. Um, it was always in August, and it was it was always the the weekend of my daughter's birthday. Oh, and, and so it was kind of nice. Her birthday was already covered every year. It was. Just <laughs> oh, we're just gonna go to the peanut party, and, and now I have to like find something else to do. So. Oh, see, uh, totally. Uh, this is yeah, okay. So, so the one time that we went to the to the peanut party, yes, we're we're we're, we're diverging it to talk about the peeling peanut. Party. We're way way diverted. <laughs> The one, the one time I went went to it, the one time me and my wife Ruby went to the pillion party, or peanut party, not the pillion party. The pillion um, party. 
It uh, it felt like it was um, somebody's family reunion and that they didn't <laughs> want people who weren't in their family to be there. So I don't know if it was just we we went to the wrong one. Or, you know, that's kind of nuts. Uh, but uh, that's kind of nuts. <laughs> I mean, we uh, we got. Uh, we bought our, we got some boiled peanuts out of it, so it was okay. <laughs> oh my goodness, yeah. I'm, some of this is gonna get probably edited out of the outtake. I'm, I'm gonna edit all one, one this, or two things. I'm gonna edit all stuff where we talk about gaming stuff out of this. And <laughs> just, the peanuts. Talk about the peanuts. Yeah, yeah, it's gonna be like I brought Charles White from Fable and Environments. Bathroom. Let me tell you about bathrooms and peanuts now. Peanuts. <laughs> well, you know, peanuts lead to bathrooms, so <laughs> sometimes. <laughs> Oh my gosh! <laughs> You're gonna end up with like five minutes of footage there to use, but um. <laughs> so Ruby's over here looking at me, going, "I want peanuts now, thanks." <laughs> so Charles, I want to thank you for for again coming on to the the Swarmcast and talking with us about Fabled Environments, um, all the the awesome Savage World products that you that you guys have, the, your Kickstarter, just just everything that you've you've been talking with us about. It's been been definitely a lot of fun and there's been a lot of really interesting stuff that we've talked about. Yeah, it's, it's been a blast. I really appreciate the opportunity and the invitation. So this was, again, me talking, me and Calvin. Sorry, I can't forget Calvin. <laughs> I'm, I'm just the voice in the back of your head, Johnny. <laughs> he can't even hear me. Only you can. Oh, well, then this has been a really weird conversation I just had. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, uh, thanks. Thanks, guys, for... For joining us on the Swarmcast, and um, wow, I'm going to have so much fun editing this. Swarmcast podcast brings you games from around the world. Hello, Swarmcast. How are you doing? I always like to make this weird announcement like I'm on an actual radio doing a radio announcement. I think I must have wanted to be a DJ for for a rock station in some other life secretly. I would believe that. Hey, folks, you're listening to our Games from Around the World segment. Uh, I've got Ruby here with me right now. Hi, guys. It's It's nice being here. Yeah, it's not often that I get to be on the mic with her when we're... That's true. ...when we're um, doing one of these things. And as you know from our Games from Around the World, we usually have some other guests. I say usually. It's not like we never have (laughs) somebody else on there. That'd be weird. And since I'm talking about being a DJ, a, a rock DJ, and I'm going to throw my little double yeah. horns up there. Yes, because that's the perfect medium that's, for audio. It's perfect for the uh, for this audio format. Okay. We should uh, we should have somebody on here who could tell us about a game that's from around the world somewhere Ooh, that that from? deals with. Uh, uh, let's see. Well. If we want to get really uh, hardcore with our rock RPGs, we should go all the way to, I'm thinking, Italy. Italy. Yeah. Interesting choice. <laughs> all right. So let's see who we got here. I've got, uh, we've got with us right now, we've got, I- I'm going to try to not um, mutilate the name too bad. We've got uh, Gilbert with Minos Games. I think I got all that right. Yes, perfect. <laughs> Hi there, greetings from Italy. This is Gilbert, and I'm very happy to be with you all. So I understand you've got a game that's all about uh, being a rock star, if I'm not mistaken. Yes. Or at least trying to be a rock star. Of course. Many try, but a few actually manage to reach the top. (laughs) It's a long way to the top if you want a rock 
rock and roll, <laughs> many people say. Nice. Uh, <laughs> oh, I hope yes. there's lots of, of I'm sure we can work some lyrics stuff in. and stuff in. So what, so, <laughs> so what is the name of this of this game that we're obviously hinting at? The name is Rockopolis, and it's a neat RPG where uh, the players will live the excessive life of uh, wannabe rock stars. You start to be a beginner and you aim to go up to the billboards and hit the big stages and go to Live Aid and so on and so on and be a worldwide <laughs> renowned rock star. Yes. But there are a few problems because life is never easy when you play RPGs. Do you face <laughs> monsters? No. Will you face guns? Probably. The worst enemy you are going to face is your inner muse or your that ego? little voice that gives ah. you inspiration ah. but wants a little piece of your soul back yes if you give her your soul she will give you inspiration now, so will muses... you, are you ready to trade your soul for success <laughs> that's a good question. I've always wondered why muses are considered female. And that's a Greek heritage, I right. think, because the muse uh, in Greek mythology are female. Yeah, I that's think they why. were the, the daughters of Zeus or something. Everyone was a daughter you know of Zeus. Yeah. I mean, he got around. Yeah. Zeus is the old father. <laughs> <laughs> Well, this sounds just up John's alley. He loves RPGs and he loves music. Not just rock, but rock is probably one of his favorite genres. Heck yeah, it is. Yeah, I'm always yeah. I've always got music playing in the background whenever we're whenever we're playing any game, any game. In yeah. Fact, in fact, I just I based pretty much all of the this and these games that we've been playing lately around different songs and such. Mm -hmm. um, and it's led me to some really interesting places with the, as far as RPGs goes. So you've kind of you've kind of given us a. a basic idea of, of your game you're playing you're you're in a band so so each of the player characters yes. is playing like a member of this 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 band yes actually that's the most uh, interesting role in my opinion but you can also play the manager huh. or you can play the one writing the songs that never goes up on the stage okay yes yeah. you can do that but uh, in my opinion the most interesting roles are the actual players you can be uh, neat guitarist you can be the singer the bass player and so on and what defines you are your souls you have four souls and each soul can be more powerful than the other ones the four souls are your metal soul your blues soul your glam soul and your punk soul. That's it. Okay. Souls represent your attitude toward life and your um, way of facing things and solving things. So if you are a metalhead, you will probably go there, crush things, and solve things this way. <laughs> but you will <laughs> go into troubles if you overdo it. You are good in threatening people and using your physics to impose yourself, but it doesn't work good 
always. If you are very strong in your glam soul, you will probably face problems with your charm, with your smile, and people will <laughs> die for you. <laughs> but, you know, it doesn't always go this way because your charm is useless against a gun. Right. Probably. <laughs> <laughs> now, if you have a very strong blues soul, you are a brain type. So you use your uh, imagination and your knowledge and you are probably half a scholar and you can solve problems using your brains. But you know, it doesn't always work. <laughs> if you have a strong punk soul, you are a, a person that can solve problems in uh, out of the box. You do <laughs> things yourself and probably you are on the wrong side of the law. Okay, <laughs> so, that happens. So which type of soul do you think is strongest in you? As, Me? Yeah. Uh, I wish, I wish, I wish I, well, I was a metal type. But oh. actually, I think I'm a little blues and a little glam. All right. Okay. When I, I, I was would... younger, I was punk too, but, you know, <laughs> age <laughs> gets us all. The best part of yeah. me. <laughs> I don't know. I think John's a little punk, little blues. That's an interesting combo. Yeah. A little punk, a little blues. Yes, you can combo things the way you want. You can uh, put your. Um, initial score and you d decide that you want to have a medium strong metal soul and uh, all the other souls you can choose to have all the souls at the same level or mm -hmm. a stronger one and many weak souls it's your choice since we were talking about souls how do you what is like the basics of the mechanics of the game do you use dice do you use cards do you use your imagination yes. and take turns yes the, you when you want to solve a problem you tell the you we call it the master of puppets so you tell your master of puppets oh, like how you want to solve this and he tells you uh, which soul you are going to use. If you are smarter, you tell him the attitude you are going to use so you decide which mm -hmm. soul to use. The higher your soul, the more die, dice you roll. Okay. So if you have a soul three point in metal soul, you roll three dice. If the die has a result of three or higher, so three, four, five, and six is a success. If you roll okay. one or two, is a failure. So is it just... And the harder is the task, the more successes you have to roll to solve okay. it. Okay. okay. Is, as the Normal dice... Normal tasks require only one success. So uh, if you have a soul, the lowest soul available that is one, you can always do that. The type of but dice... Higher, um, <laughs> oh, sorry. Which kind of <laughs> that's dice? Fine. It's uh, just D6s and that's it? D6, yes. Okay. Because okay. if you roll 3-6, you have 6-6-6. Six, six, six. It's very important. Oh, for... okay. nice. Hey, yeah. It's the little details so... in games like that. If it's, <laughs> if it's a theme type game that really sell it to me. <laughs> yes, uh, yes. The devil's and, in the uh, details. Of course, this is just a way of having fun. We are not uh, believing in Satan yeah. or so on. So, right, I agree. <laughs> and what else? If you roll a six, mm -hmm. this die explodes. That means you can roll another die. Okay. Extra. And if that die is six, you can explode another time. So okay. the more six you roll, the better the chances you have uh, to pull it off. Nice. Oh my gosh. And that's the basics. 
then you have some traits mm -hmm. that you choose yourself, that you can be a smart guitarist or a very charming people or a skilled pilot. And you can use those traits to increase your chances of uh, success. So I have a soul that gives me two dice and I want to use another die from my trait. I use the trait and gain another die. But when okay. I use the trait, the trait loses one point. So they, okay. you cannot use them. So you have to be sparing with them. Everyone. Yes, you have to be wise and use them when you think the situation needs it. Okay. Okay. So how does this muse come into, yes. come into play? The muse comes in. Uh, another important thing that I forgot to say is that is uh, Rockopolis makes a big uh, differentiation between off stage and on stage. When you are off stage, you use your souls the way I explained it like mm -hmm. until okay. now. When you are on stage, you use your soul to play the corresponding songs. So if you want to play a glam song, you use your glam soul. If you want to play a blues song, you use your blues soul if you want to play a metal song you use your metal soul okay do all of the members of the band have to uh, contribute that same soul yes. into and it goes like this you choose who's the frontman, and that's a big, big, big problem in every band. <laughs> <laughs> and the frontman is the last one, and he will face the crowd. Ah. So the the friends start playing and start rolling. If they roll successes, they um, they net a lot of dices that then they provide these dice to the frontman that will roll more dice. So the more successes so the, the, the friends the other band members the other the band more dice frontman rolls right so and he then faces the the crowd and the crowd have its tastes so if the crowd hates glam and you play a glam song <laughs> You, uh, it's a big problem. Or if your song is about anarchy and you are playing at the, the policeman ball, ball, sorry, <laughs> it's a big problem. So you have to keep your attention on the theme of the song and on the genre of the song, of the song and so on and so on. It's very funny because uh, many outcomes can come when you play songs to the, from uh, people throwing bottles at you <laughs> to girls going wild and throwing bras and uh, going flowers and so on and so on and so on. It's very happy, very, very funny. Very I think funny. I'd like the bras rather than flowers. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, with so this... we were talking about the muse. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, muses are your fuel because they give you inspiration points that you can use them to gain automatic, automatic successes. So you get one okay. inspiration point is one success. When you need successes, you just throw in the inspiration points and you are okay. But huh. in order to have it, you have to, how do you say that? You sell your soul to the muse. There are different kinds of muses and all muses tend to drive you towards excesses. 
So if you are a gambler, you will always gamble, you will spend all your money in gambling, slot machines, and so on and so on. <laughs> By doing so, you will gain inspiration. So if you oh, play wow. up to your muse, you <laughs> yes. gain inspiration. Yes. The more you so, give in your muse, the more inspiration you, uh, you gain. But what's the and downside the, to that then? Uh, yes, it's a big downside because you go and put yourself in trouble and the whole band in trouble. Okay. Yeah, you might gamble you away. Just picture yourself uh, a, a true gambler always takes the money without anyone noticing yeah. and goes to, <laughs> yeah, to spend it all in slot machines, in poker and so on and so on. And the day after says, okay, I don't know where the money is. Uh, someone has stolen it and so on and so on. You know, and these, there are, these rock stars always getting in trouble with the law too. So Yes, there are always uh, breaking stuff or problematic trash uh, news is trash in the hotel yeah trash in the hotel room yeah trashing <laughs> hotels and uh, burning things down and right. so on like the pyromaniac <laughs> muse and so on yes and that's a very good way to have hints to create uh, adventure seeds okay you know yeah. You don't have to think about, okay, what do I do now? Because your player will put themselves in trouble by themselves. You don't have to push <laughs> them in trouble. If they you will have, go if, straight toward yeah. the abyss. Yeah. So straight there. So I noticed just from the um, first first off, I do want to say that that anybody listening to this, there is a if you go to Drive Through RPG, there is a demo kit that people can download. Um, yeah, it's kind of it's a it's kind of like what we would call a quick start. Right. In a way, yes. it gives gives a brief yes. description of some rules, some pre-generated characters, um, and I noticed in there that there's there's this thing where you have where you can select a playlist, and you guys have some actual songs listed out. Yes. And and those songs that. Uh, they they all have stats that determines what target number and such you're yes. trying to roll. Stats? What do you mean by that? Yes. Uh, like it's got their soul. Oh, you're or? talking about the souls. Okay. Yes, yes. It's they have a difficulty, a difficulty level. Number, the yeah. the okay. more difficult the song is, the more the crowd will cheer to you, and the better is your performance. You know, you are more renowned, more people talking about you, and so on, and so on. But you have to achieve achieve those results those uh, successes if you don't you have <laughs> and they lower your performance so if the booze exceed the applauses you are off stage okay. they throw everything at you and the concert is over and everything goes down and you are very 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 sad it's kind of like the video game rock band argue one against against the other yeah it, it does it does uh review was just saying it's kind of like the rock, the band the excuse me kind of like the video game rock band or yes, something. where yes, you mess up so. the song enough they boo you off yes, stage yes. and it's game right. over so if you really of mess course up, if you mess up <laughs> you are out <laughs> so what um gosh we've we've already kind of we've already kind of hit on this but what uh, is there anything else that that kind of sets this sets this game apart from i don't say, know other games it sounds pretty much <laughs> unique in itself everything about it so <laughs> well actually it's a very very different project and um, 
you know, it's very daring one because many rock themed RPGs always have a fighting part in them mm, okay. because many people that play RPGs love to fight. So there are RPGs where you are bards fighting evil or there are RPGs <laughs> where you are in a post-apocalyptic world where zombies roam okay. and you use your music to fight the zombies. <laughs> but there is always a fighting part and this is nice. But we wanted to make an RPG where fighting is not necessary. Okay, you can do it. You can but get into fist very, fights and bar yes, brawls. Yes, fist but fight. You can blow your guns. You can do whatever you want. But the your, focus your of this game is playing music <laughs> and being a rock star. So that's a very different focused uh, game. So right. there are people. There are games. Huh. A few games based on rock music, like Star Child or Rockalypse. Yes, that's for fate. Oh, and okay. They okay. are are focused on yes they speak about music they they are rock based RPGs but it's but, more of a conflict based game not yes it's more on uh, different conflicts we are uh, wanted to give to provide the players the feeling of being a rock star with its excesses <laughs> with its uh, temptations and with its uh, high levels of fame followed by the day after where everybody forgets about you and those are the problems you are going to face and those are the experience you are going to feel if you play Rockopolis and it's a very different experience if you compare it to similar RPGs that I like and I know many of the people that made these RPGs and the uh, I like them and I love them. All right. So when you're talking about Rockopolis and about being the rock star and all of that involved in it, it makes me think of that mockumentary show Spinal Tap. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Many told me about it. Yeah. And yes. Uh, some things are similar. I mean, the I'm just saying, talking about the excess and the the following your muses and all of that. That's pretty much what that show was and about. And you know, if if you have somebody who just if you if you are constantly changing out that one person from your gaming table mm-hmm. each night, then that kind of fits with that too. It's like, well, we got another bass player. <laughs> You're playing the <laughs> bass player. <laughs> yes. Yes. And Rockopolis <laughs> is <laughs> really meant to provide you the experience of being a rock star, excesses and different conflicts from whatever you usually play. You know, you never play conflicts for real when you play D&D or so on and so right. on. But actually conflicts and relations are very important in Rockopolis. And you can see it in the character sheet because you can also use relations to increase your successes but relations force your character to behave some in some way my example is if you love a girl and this girl comes to your concert you can roll one die more because you are ah. excited by this ah, okay. but if you love a girl you cannot harm her because you love her so you cannot harm her you okay. cannot go against her because you have a strong relationship that prevents 
convince you to do this. And many and one of your relationship is always with at least one band member. So you can hate someone or love someone. And this means that you cannot betray someone you love and you can, (laughs) you should not (laughs) help someone you hate. And that's the big problem of being in a rock band because you have to play with someone you hate very often because he's killed. You need him, but you hate. Right. (laughs) (laughs) So we've, well, I was going to ask, how did you guys come up with the idea of this particular type of game? Hey, um, I think passion, passion is what focuses uh, and fuels this kind of idea because I always liked music and rock music in particular. And when I met Andrea and uh, Davide in, um, in a con, mm-hmm. we spoke about music and we told each other, oh, why don't we do something together? And that's what. That's how That's it came about. Because okay. I like experimentation too, mm-hmm. because there are so many RPGs focused on fighting or solving problems in, uh, let's say, with magic or with the uh, sword. Right. And I wanted to play uh, RPG focused on going on stage where the big final boss is the crowd before you <laughs> and not nice. a big dragon. And so on. And a crowd can be, how do you say that? Mm, more evil than a dragon. <laughs> They're definitely more fickle. Yes. They've yes. got a lot more fickle. heads, too. Yeah. A lot more and heads, a lot more hands. Merciless. <laughs> uh, that's what yeah. I mean. <laughs> yes. No mercy. If they hate you, they will have no mercy. You can <laughs> beg a dragon for mercy, but you cannot beg for mercy for 100,000 people. <laughs> <laughs> so by this point, all of our fans and such who are listening yeah the fans all of our fans who are listening to this and 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 somehow rocking out to this podcast which could happen could are are saying (laughs) well this is great but how do i get a hold of this game right now rockopolis right even as as i'm speaking with with uh the both of you is on kickstarter and it is going to be on kickstarter until um, a little bit after the middle of uh september almost (laughs) at february for some reason that'd be a really long kickstarter it would be <laughs> um, so tell us a little bit about this Kickstarter. It sounds like this Kickstarter is primarily to help get it what into uh, into print and get it translated into to English and such. Is that is that about right? Yes, we. We wanted to bring this idea worldwide because we wanted to reach all the rock-loving RPG people around the world. And we thought that the best way was creating a Kickstarter because a good Kickstarter makes a big community. And we Mm -hmm. wanted to talk with the community of the fans and listen to their feedbacks and bring the best possible rock experience sharing our you know our efforts and our passion with uh, people from all around the world so as you as you said it will uh, this manual will be translated uh, no we will write it directly into english Mm -hmm. and in italian Mm -hmm. okay because um, you know when you speak about rock in italian it's english (laughs) most of the rock bands we worship like gods 
are English-speaking world rock bands. We have <laughs> very cool rock bands in Italy too, but you, if you are a rock fan, you you speak English. So <laughs> okay. we could uh, we could not imagine a rock-based uh, RPG without an English language. So we are providing it in our language and in English too. And we are waiting, and we are not waiting. We are welcoming any suggestion to make it better, like the one you said to. <laughs> provide a cool and neat <laughs> soundtrack yes we yeah. will and so that's the spirit we like the um, idea of making something together because rock the true soul of rock can be experienced only in concerts and in concerts you are not alone you are with a lot of people and you are having fun with people and we wanted to make a big concert in on kickstarter with a lot of <laughs> happy people that are eager to help us to grow and make Rockopolis uh, always better product. I heard a rumor that it's fully funded too, so it's coming out. Yes, yes, we were funded yesterday and we are going for the stretch goals, so we are climbing the billboards, we are doing it, <laughs> yes, gonna... yes, we are reaching the top. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. Climbing the billboard. So what, um, gosh, well, as far as the, I guess, some of the stretch goals and such, what, what sort of plans do you have for some of those? Yes, we are, um, we wanted to involve some of my friends in the U.S. that are very skilled, very great musician and they will write some adventures for Rockopolis so they will provide their own experiences of a real <laughs> yes real people with real experience uh, translated into adventurers huh. and we wanted to provide the great soundtrack and that's what we were hoping to do and if you help us to increase and to make the product even better we can reach the stars and who knows where we will arrive <laughs> <laughs> and we will have a um, we will have the link to to the Kickstarter mm -hmm. in our show notes. Um, but why don't you why don't you tell us where can people if they wanted to to find this this on Kickstarter where would they go and uh, where would they go track down Minos Games? Okay, we uh, you can track down Minos Games on our website that is minosgames.com and you can track track down us on Facebook that's uh, Rockopolis the game. And of course, now the easiest way is to go on Kickstarter, type Rockopolis, and we are the only one. You cannot <laughs> miss that. <laughs> Really, really. If you Google it, you will find a Fallout location first. But if you Google <laughs> Rockopolis RPG, you will find us first. So don't forget the RPG tag. Uh, <laughs> all right. So you mentioned that you would consider yourself a metal soul. What do you think your favorite song is? I asked this not knowing what mine is. Wow. Oh, hey, it's very difficult. Right? Um, for someone that mm. loves music, it's always hard to pin down one song. Yes. Um, now, the first one that comes in my mind is the Unforgiven of Metallica. Ah, okay. okay. Of course, uh, Led Zeppelin, every single song of Led Zeppelin. And the, 
Led Zeppelin are the best one, so okay, okay. you can pick one immigrant song or uh, <laughs> Kashmir, and you can do whatever you want. But Led Zeppelin and Iron Maiden, of course. So <laughs> Ace is high. <laughs> uh, okay. And I could go for hours and uh, stop me, please. <laughs> <laughs> What about you, Ruby? Oh, you just had to turn it back <laughs> on me, didn't you? Um, which which of the souls do you think is probably your <sighs> strongest? Glam. Definitely I was, yeah, was going to say, totally. I'm all about glam rock. <laughs> yeah. Uh, she, she's, she's not. I'm not. Um, I don't know where you would fit on this. Yeah, I don't know. Either. Probably closer to blues. Probably. Or, uh, yeah. yeah. No punks here. John's I'm the probably closest. as close as to, to a punk. Yeah, <laughs> he likes ska music, which is ah, okay. Yeah. Um, no, I guess I'm. Uh, uh. <laughs> Crosby, Stills, Nash and Young, but that's all because mm. sentimentality. As far as that's what I grew up with with my dad. So, although mentioning Led Zeppelin, um, I think we have four copies of one of their particular <laughs> albums. I don't even right. remember which one it is. I inherited. Really? Yes, I inherited my. My dad's um, record collection record yeah. and John got his dad's record collection and my dad had two copies of this particular album and apparently his folks both had two copies of this yeah. particular album I don't remember which one it is it's the it's a double album it's got the reaper on it standing on top of a hill with the, the mm-hmm. it's an unnamed one listed on the record but of course, it's got "Stairway to Heaven" on it. Uh, so <laughs> great song. <laughs> yeah. And now we can now we can play all three copies of it at once. <laughs> yeah. No. So. Hey, it's a treasure. Eh? It's it is. Very, it is. Uh, oh yeah. All right, John. What about you? Oh man, see, I was not. You turned it on me. I know. Right? <laughs> and you turned it right you. back on me. Uh. Uh, see, I know you said punk, but you know, there's a lot of, oh yeah, there's a lot of metal. Cause I'm, I'm really into like bands yeah. like Guar. Yeah. And, uh, I don't know. I've been getting into ghost recently. Mm. There's been a lot of interesting stuff coming out of there. Um, but then, you know, there's, like you said, I'm into ska and I, I'm looking at this playlist that I see no effects mm-hmm. and I'm thinking, yeah, there's a, uh, yeah. there's a song they've got called the decline, which is like a, which is like the longest punk song in recorded history. Really? It's like a 35 minute song. It's not on this playlist. No, no. I was looking wow. at them. I was like, "Oh, there's Deep Purple on here." Oh my gosh, yeah. yeah we're looking at the we're we're <laughs> yeah. looking at the playlist that's on the demo uh, yeah. on the demo file that we got from Drive Through RPG. Yes, yes. Drive Through RPG And in fact, Rockopolis is going to. Um, I want to say it's probably going to be available on Drive Through RPG. Well, the demo is. So yes, I imagine once it the, will. It will. Wonderful. It will be available on Drive Through RPG, and we are looking for distributors in US and UK and so on. So probably okay. after the Kickstarter is over, there will be other, other ways other ways to get okay. it. We hope. <laughs> okay. We hope that we find a distributor so we, you can find it in bookstores and in, Oh, that would um, be yeah, that would be great. <laughs> yes, it's not so easy but we will try to do it. So if you are listening, we are uh, skilled people, so <laughs> <laughs> well, when you will have a mail, don't reject it. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's been great talking to you, hearing about Rockopolis. You were obviously very passionate about this. So I'm really looking forward to, to getting on copy. 
I know Thank John's you. already pledged because I yeah because I've already packed the sun kicks. <laughs> I, th- I think I think it was day one. I, I grabbed one of those early bird ones. Cool. Because Thank you very much, guys. You yeah. were great because that's the soul of rock, helping each other. And I, as the man of war say, together we stand, divided we fall. (laughs) (laughs) Excellent. (laughs) So again, we were talking to Gilbert? Uh, yes. I was, okay. Uh, from Perfect. Minos Games about Rockopolis on Kickstart until September 17th. Yes, 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 yes. Thank you. Thank yep. you. It was a big pleasure being with you. <laughs> and I want to say hello and goodbye to all the thousand, hundred of thousands of people that are following this show. So thank you very much and rock on, people. <laughs> Rock on. I'm surprised John rock hasn't on. done his rock. Yet. Well, I, I can think it. Uh, rock. You know, yeah. Rock. It's just, it, it loses <laughs> something when you can't, can't. see the, yeah. the hand yes. gestures and such. All right. <laughs> so I think he's going to stop recording now. Yeah. So. Swarmcaster got your number. I'll call you all the time. Area code 803-470-4439 Swancast has bargain me, this for you, yeah, you got the good, bad, and other stuff to tell you, so listen up to our board and review, hoo-hoo's, you really like it, or I'll make you eat your shoe, hoo-hoo's, <laughs> Back at the table, back at the booth, and I have with me... Uh, Doug, how's it going? Uh, pretty good. So, uh, you've been here quite a bit. That means you've been playing lots of games here at Scarab. Lots. So what game do we want to talk about right now? Pretending to Grown Up. Pretending to Grown Up. That's by, uh, well, our, our buddy Jason Anarchy, who's been on the show. Yes, that's his name. That's his actual <laughs> name. Uh, created that show. Or created that game. <clears throat> so, why don't you tell me something good about Pretending to Grown Up? The themes on the cards show that a lot of thought was put into the game. They were very Cute, very clever. Uh, <laughs> I mean, the artwork wasn't that much, but but the, the themes were interesting, and so it made looking at your hand a little fun. Okay, I remember looking at the artwork, and I kept thinking it, it kind of made me think of like the uh, the Scott Pilgrim kind of artwork. If you're familiar uh-huh. with that, um, so is there anything? Bad that you want to say about uh, pretending to grow up the game, uh, not, not the. Uh, <laughs> there's not a lot of strategy, but okay, it's something that you can play with younger people. Uh, I, I think younger people than what the game called for uh-huh. could do it. So, so it's it's very varied as to your audience. I can see that. I can see that. So, what's something other that you want to say about pretending to grow up? It's a game that. Um, it doesn't take a long time to play, so it's something that you could do if you didn't have very much time. So that's, <laughs> okay. that's just something other, I guess, I could say about it. Okay. A nice, just quick game. Oh, and the cleverness of the little extra point, which was a like a Brontosaurus, Pegasus, oh, yeah, uh, the... unicorn-type little thing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, some thought went into that, it. That, that little wooden... That wooden uh... <laughs> right. Kind of a giant meeple-type thing. Right. <laughs> Yeah, I thought that was interesting when I looked at it, too. 
Well, well, cool, Doug. Thanks for for talking to me about pretending to grown up. The game, not the the concept. <laughs> You're always welcome. So I'm here now with Petra. How how are you doing? Good, thank you. Did you have um, you played a game here at Scarab? What game did you play? Rhino Hero. Ah, Rhino Hero. Very cool. Did you have fun playing that? Yes. I've seen it before, and it looks like a very fun game. Yes, it is. Um, so, what's some something good you want to say about Rhino Hero? I think it would be an excellent game for the younger people. Mm-hmm. Um, it's something that's easy to catch on to, and it's fun. And I think for the young kids that can't get into some of the other games, that has a lot of reading in it or having to add things. This is just a simple type of stacking game. Okay. Is there anything bad that you wanna that you can say about Rhino Hero? I think the instructions weren't very clear. There's okay. walls you have to set up, and it didn't really tell you who sets them up or how they're set up. Uh, okay. So, what's something other that you want that you can say about Rhino Hero? Again, the, the walls. We just kind of made it up as we went along. So we um, placed the roof, which is kind of the concept of it, is you're building a almost like a high-rise, uh-huh. and there's a little rhino. You, you move up on specific turns, and so you put the roof on, which actually is the base for the next level, and... Um, it's unclear. Do you put the walls up or does the next player put the walls up? So we decided the next player put the walls up before they put their roof on. So it's just the interpretation. I didn't uh-huh. think the directions were clear. So I think that's how it should be played. Okay. All right. Well, well, uh, Petra, again, thank you for, for coming by here and telling us about Rhino Hero. I hope you're having fun in Scarab 2018. Yes, thank you. And we're back here again talking with the elusive Mr. Smith, Scarlet, and the the man they call Dan. Handsome Dan. Handsome Dan. And they're here this time to talk about a game they played called Rhino Hero. So did you guys have fun playing Rhino Hero? It is a a great game that combines strategy and dexterity. And it's got a little wooden rhino meeple, so that's always a bonus. It's not for the faint of hand. Not for the faint of yes. hand. You have to have. You have to be very steady. Okay. So what's what's something good we can say about Rhino Hero? It's easy to set up. <laughs> the rules are fairly easily okay. explained. So if you need something um, quick in between other games that are longer length, it, or it fits. for younger players, so that it it's entertaining enough going against okay. somebody that may be the same age, but it's just as entertaining playing against a younger player because it's more skill right. and luck than okay. it is strategy. Uh, okay, okay. There's a little bit of strategy in there. <laughs> <laughs> Anything else good we want to say about Rhino Hero? Okay. Got everybody involved. Okay. Yeah, that That's always a good thing. Play instead of sitting. Instead of sitting yeah. yeah, we called it the stand-up game because <laughs> yeah. sitting well, you do, just you makes do, you, you too nervous. And you not touch the table. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> or breathe. Or sneeze. <laughs> or anything else. So, yeah, the game so will be over if somebody sneezes. <laughs> so, on, so on that note, is there anything bad we want to say about Rhino Hero? Uh, it can very easily become a drinking game. Oh. Well, is that a bad thing? I don't know if that's bad, <laughs> per se. It'd be a very short version. <laughs> well, there is no drinking here at the Scottish Rite Center. I, uh, of, course, of course not. Of course not. We didn't mean liquor. <laughs> but if there was, it would be Drunken Rhino Hero. It, it wouldn't last very long. <laughs> 
I think that would be a fun game, though. Drunken Rhino. <laughs> Drunken Rhino. Anyway. But anyways, so what's something other... Is there any other thing bad that might be about Rhino Hero? Or did we kind of cover that? I think with the, the only bad thing is sometimes the uh, the cards are already pre-bent in a direction. Yes, and you don't have any options after that. Yeah, Not once really. once they're bent, they're going to start to lose their shape a little bit, and it makes it more difficult when uh, uh, the, flat, the flat spaces okay. are called the roofs, and the roof has a section that is... Um, the way that you place your walls on the following round. And it's okay. difficult if you can't bend them into the exact shape so that right. they fit that mold. You know, I gotcha, would say that gotcha. when that happens, it's time to buy a new game. <laughs> <laughs> Perhaps, yes. And that's the true beauty of, of Rhino Hero. So <laughs> what, what can we say that might be other about Rhino Hero? I love the wall art. It's yeah, really it's cute. Got, okay. It's got good graphics. It's yeah. very, um, okay. it's very thematic. It, it's family friendly in that it's got a lot of quirky little weird things in it, um, little hearts and little <laughs> baking tarts and ducks flying upside down. Um, it's interesting. <laughs> <laughs> okay. A lot of parts. A lot of parts. This is true. That's fair. That's fair. <laughs> well, cool. Well, well, thank you guys for sitting down and, and talking with me about Rhino Hero. Yay. Okay, so I'm here at the booth, still, at <laughs> Scarab 2018, and I have Ryan at the table with me. How's it going, Ryan? It's going well. How are you? I'm holding up surprisingly well. Awesome. <laughs> um, so what game do you want to talk with me about? Right Rhino now? Hero by Haba. Okay. Excellent, excellent game. They make some fun products for kids. Yeah, definitely. So uh, what's something good you want to tell me about? Well, I'm on the hunt for games that I can enjoy as well as my kids. So my oldest is about to turn five, so I'm looking for games that kind of fit him. And so that's why I started exploring the Haba stuff, and and Rhino Hero was fantastic. Okay. Uh, It it had a little bit of dexterity to it and a little bit of balance, kind of like Jenga meets Uno. So I liked it a lot. (laughs) It was really good. Cool, very cool. Um, Is there something bad that you can tell me about Rhino Hero? It's a little flimsy because of the nature of the cards and the wall pieces. So for my son almost turning five, it might be a bit of a challenge Mm dexterity-wise, especially when you add in the moving little rhino figurine. But um, I think it's worth a shot. Okay. And is there something you can tell us that will fall in our other category for Rhino Hero? You know, it's quick and easy, and it's not something that I think that uh, you necessarily will just outgrow because... The more dexterous you are, the the more dexterous you are, the, the higher you can build the tower. So it's right. It's kind of good for any age. Okay. Well, excellent. Thank you, Ryan, for coming here and telling, talking to us about Rhino Hero. My pleasure. That you played at Scarab Gaming Convention. Thanks. Was a board game reviews from the Swarmcast. If you don't like it, I'ma come over and kick your tail. Tail. <laughs> Toast meant to say tail. Toast one. <laughs> Ooh. Why do you do that? Well, everybody, the show's finally over. That's it. You can go back to your normal life again, though it's probably never going to be the same. You can find the Swarmcast podcast on Facebook and Twitter. Tell us what you think. Heck, give us a good review on either iTunes and Tuned In, Stitcher. Heck, I think we're putting stuff out on YouTube now, if that's kind of your thing. Anyway, subscribe, like, whatever, all through those different guys. Or you can grab the RSS feed from our website, which is swarmcast podcast.com that's all one word 
And you can also email us at swarmcastpodcast, again one word, at gmail.com. Why not? Or you can leave us a message at area code 803-470-4439. And we'll probably play it on the air if you're lucky. Maybe. (laughs) So, until next time, keep on gaming. And when you think of toast, think of me.
need to put a pledge level into Pelion where you can have the Donald Dennis Memorial Bathroom put into a map. So. 